Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Friday, September 2nd, and heading into the Labor Day weekend, I will be traveling to the evil imperial city, or at least its outskirts, tomorrow morning for the Ron Paul Institute conference called Anatomy of a Police State. So if anyone's going to be there, then let me know. And perhaps some like-minded people could actually say hello to each other in person for a change. We get so few opportunities. We're so spread out. I'll also be exhibiting at the Libertarian Party of New York State Convention, September 17th and 18th. That's a Saturday and Sunday. It'll be held at the Sheraton in Niagara Falls, New York, which is not far from my house. So anybody that is planning on going to the convention, make sure you stop by my exhibitor table. I'll have some merch and other goodies there. Also an opportunity to sign up on my newsletter list. And again, most importantly, a chance for people who think like us to meet each other in person. There'll be a whole convention full of them there and as well as exhibitors like me. So today I wanted to talk about the Federal Reserve again, but from a different angle. We talk about how terrible it is economically quite a bit, but I really wanted to talk about the moral implications of the Federal Reserve and our monetary system just on its face, that there is no way for this thing to operate in any kind of a moral way, that its very existence and every operation it does is a property crime. And I think what most people think of when I, I would say something like that would be inflation of the money supply, creating more dollars out of thin air based on the fact that these dollars are not exchanged for any fixed asset. They are exchangeable for consumer goods, stocks and bonds, financial assets, hard assets, whatever, from willing sellers. But the price of those things, of course, fluctuates based primarily 
over the long haul because of the supply of money. So when the money supply is inflated, everybody is probably aware by now you get more dollars chasing the same amount of goods, all other things being equal, and you eventually get higher prices. But this isn't just an economic outcome. This is really a moral outcome. This is stealing. And let me break down exactly why. No, the Federal Reserve does not remove anything from your bank account to give to anybody else. So on that level, nothing concrete is stolen. However, what they are doing is taking your purchasing power, and they're taking it without your consent. And I want to make an analogy here, and I've thought for years, what, what is the best analogy and how could I best explain that on its face this is stealing? And one, one that I came up with I think that would probably hit home is think about a stock. Now think about when a company decides, a, a publicly traded company, to double the amount of shares in existence. What happens? Well, all the existing shareholders' holdings get doubled. Now, why do they do that? They do that because they recognize that if they were just to double the amount of shares and start selling them to other people, that they're committing a crime against the existing holders. That those people who used to own, let's say, 1% of the company would now only own a half a percent. And they would go into court and sue the company that did this and win. Now, again, somebody arguing against this analogy would say, well, just like the dollar isn't ex exchangeable for any particular fixed asset or any amount of consumer goods, but the stock, of course, is, it is exchangeable for the hard assets of the company or all the assets of the company. So if you own 1% of the stock, you are entitled to 1% of all the company's assets if it were to be sold. So some people might argue that that's a difference, that you're not really guaranteed anything with a dollar, so inflating the dollar would not be the same as inflating the shares of a particular stock and not compensating with uh, twice the shares all the existing holders. But I, I come back to that argument with this. At any given time, the number of dollars you are holding does represent the ability to buy some percentage of all the purchasable assets that are in existence. So we'll just construct a real small little world with a million existing dollars of which you have 1% or $10,000, okay? And just to make this super simple and easy to picture in your mind, let's just say there are a million goods and services to be bought and they all cost a dollar. So basically you have in your possession of those $10,000, the ability to buy 1% of all goods and services available anywhere. And since in our mythical example, they all cost a dollar, you have the ability that 1% represents 10,000 individual products you could buy. Okay, now let's just say I double the money supply and I lend out that million dollars to other people, other entities, banks, whatever. 
Well, now there are $2 million in circulation. And at the moment those dollars are lent out, you no longer have the ability to buy 10,000 products or 1% of all available products. You only have the ability to buy half of those, okay, or 5,000 because you're going to be competing now with twice as many dollar holders or dollars, people bidding dollars against all those goods. Now, to the argument that consumer prices don't rise immediately after the creation of new money, well, it really doesn't matter because consumer goods might not be the only things that you're planning on buying. But as were previously, you had this ability to buy 1% of everything that existed at the time. After that, you have the ability to buy less. You've been stolen from. And let's not forget that central banks do this with the express intent of overriding the existing choices of market participants. So when they say we're going to stimulate the economy to get more lending going and more economic activity going, it's not like anybody has a right to override the choices of the holders of capital because they don't think that they're allocating it correctly. It perhaps and probably is being allocated the best it possibly can be allocated by market participants in a voluntary market. If that weren't the case, then centrally planned economies would have outperformed more market-based economies during the 20th century, and they didn't. So this other aspect of the right to not buy, okay, we all have a right to say, no, I don't want to buy that thing at that price. I don't want to make this loan to this business at at these interest rates or at all or at any interest rate or buy that thing at any price. These are all choices every holder of dollars has a right to make and by this euphemism, adding liquidity to the markets, the Federal Reserve is overriding those choices that people have a right to make and doing so by stealing from them, by diluting their dollar holdings without their consent, without compensation to the dilution that's just occurred. So there's this is completely immoral. And it has bad economic consequences, yes, but I want to remind people that also there is no right way to do this. Even if the, the Fed somehow added the right amount of money and subtracted the right amount of money and engineered soft landings or didn't create big overpriced bubble booms in the first place, it still would be immoral what they were doing. And yet, On top of the immorality of it, we get all these terrible economic outcomes. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts here a couple of ways at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts to every episode and access to my members-only MeWe group, while all access patrons also get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos, 
or you can become a VIP patron to get all of that, plus access to all of my online courses and a signed copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there. Find links to all the ways you can support the show at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. And then on the other side, I, I wanted to emphasize that since we're in a period of so-called quantitative tightening, and not very much tightening has gone on, I think I mentioned that in the last podcast I did about the Fed, but, and just to review that quickly, it used to be that raising interest rates also decreased the money supply because they, they could only raise the interest rate by selling securities into the open market and thereby removing dollars from the open market. And that's no longer the case that since this barrage of dollars showered on the banks back in 2008 and nine and the years thereafter during quantitative easing, that the banks have these big, huge reserves that they never had before outside of M1, M2, et cetera. And now the Fed can raise the interest rate by simply raising the amount of interest it pays banks on those excess reserves. So it's no longer just immediately removing money from the money supply just by raising interest rates. So that's important to remember because that's where the real impact on inflation, what we call inflation, on rising prices is going to occur with removing money out of the money supply. Now, raising interest rates will dampen economic activity and to some extent bring down demand and affect inflation, but the real leverage is pulling the dollars right out so they're not there to be spent. Okay, that's the real tightening and the Fed now instead of just raising the interest rate and that's the tightening, they have to do this separate operation called reducing their balance sheet. It was always reducing their balance sheet, but now that's a separate thing from raising the interest rate. I don't know why, but I always feel the need to remind people of that just because, you know, it was for so long, a hundred years that the Fed did everything the same way. And then in the last 10 years, 12 years or so, that's changed. So in any case, they've only pulled about $64 billion dollars out of the money supply since they started their big tightening on June 1st. It had already come down a little since April. So if you count that, maybe $100 billion. And, and don't forget, they added $5,000 billion to the money supply between March of 2020 and earlier this year. So they were, and they were still adding dollars to the money supply as of up until about March of this year, their balance sheet was still growing, which means they were still buying assets out of the market and exchanging those for dollars. 
So still easing really right up until earlier this year, which is just insane when you think about it. But let's get back to our discussion of the morality of this. And I think people would tend to see tightening as less immoral, but it is just as immoral because what does tightening do? It removes dollars from the money supply without anyone's consent. Again, the banks have no choice but to take the securities that the Fed is giving them and give those dollars to the Fed. And I shouldn't say give, the Fed just takes them out of their account. So if somebody, a debt obligation that they contracted under certain conditions with certain amounts of money available in the economy, and suddenly the the Fed artificially decreases that, what they've done is they have raised the interest rate on that debt, even if it's fixed by contract. Why? Because what the debtor has to pay back is now more valuable than what it was when they entered into the debt contract. So let's say I borrowed $10,000 and the Fed tightens the money supply, in other words, takes money out of circulation. Well, now in order for me to obtain the dollars needed to make the monthly payment, I have to go out and give up more other things. If the payment's $100 and I made that under the conditions where money was easier to come by, where it only cost me 50 apples to get that $100. And now, of course, because the Fed has taken money out of the money supply and the price of apples has gone down, I might have to give up 100 apples. Let's just say I own an orchard in order to supply that $100. So I've been arbitrarily, my contract has been arbitrarily altered by the Fed. I am now paying back much more than I originally borrowed and much more than the principal plus interest that I originally agreed to. And people generally don't have as much sympathy for debtors, but let's not forget there is a lot of good reasons to take out debt. In fact, most expansions of the productive structure occur because of debt, but it's debt based on savings. It's based on a group of people who saved money, consumed less than they produced for a period of time, and then perhaps just don't happen to be the people who are entrepreneurial and they lend their money willingly to entrepreneurs who will expand the productive structure either with new businesses or expanding existing ones. And this is all based on voluntary contracts. When the Fed so-called infuses liquidity, they're stealing money. They're not, they're not, it's not a savings and then a, a voluntary loan. And note also, this is again on the economic side, that because there's no savings and just this infusion of new money, then there's a whole bunch of bad economic outcomes that the Austrian business cycle explains. I don't want to get into all those details there. But again, just remember, it's it's all immoral. It's even, even the tightening is overriding debt contracts involuntarily, making debtors pay more than they ever agreed to pay. So going in both directions, this is totally immoral. And 
the the one thing that I I do want to say on the economic side, and maybe I'll do a different podcast on this, is that uh, even if some some people might agree to everything I just said, well, yeah, you know, in a perfect world, blah blah blah. But we have these problems that we need an elastic money supply. That's all foo foo. No, we don't need an elastic money supply. There's never a reason where there's not enough. Money. Okay, maybe out on the western frontier back, you know, in in 1809 when the Americas were first being settled and some people had to use other commodities as money because there wasn't enough currency going around. Yeah, whatever. They still wouldn't have agreed to, you know, have their their purchasing power stolen to solve that problem. They actually solved it with using whiskey or whatever else as money. But in the modern economy, there's absolutely no excuse for this. There's never a reason where we're going to run short of money because the prices of everything else can just adjust. And the way with a relatively stable money supply prices adjust is they go down. And that makes saving worthwhile. That's why you had better saving and capital accumulation and Even during explosive economic growth during the 19th century, you had overall, over the whole period, falling prices. And the only places that you did have rising prices during that century was when there was some kind of monetary intervention, whether it be by one of the two national banks or Lincoln's greenbacks or some other intervention, usually monetary, by the government And then in the late 1800s, they were doing all kinds of things with credit and railroads. This was never a natural market phenomenon. It's never natural for prices to go up. A free market would never produce that. It's always a matter of monetary expansion that makes the prices of everything go up. And I think I covered that in the last podcast on this. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. How could I think of Baba with a girl like you? Just to wrap it up in conclusion, everything the Federal Reserve does is immoral. It's stealing to inflate the money supply. It's also stealing to deflate the money supply with you know all of the 
laws in place that make it absolutely essential that people use the U.S. dollar instead of being able to choose it on a free market of currencies. So there's nothing about the Fed, not one thing that they can do other than close their doors and disband that would not be an immoral act. So let me leave it there. I just wanted to give you something to chew on going into Labor Day weekend. Of course, we're going to be hearing from all the communists that we have to thank them for this holiday on Monday that, and also for the weekend in general. And I think I'll handle those idiotic claims and the fact that the government somehow solved or ended child labor during the Labor Day episode. So yes, if you work for the government, you'll have the day off, but I'll be hard at work here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, bringing you some more content. Again, don't if you're going this weekend to the Ron Paul event at Weston Dulles Airport, then reach out to me, send me an email, let me know you're going to be there. Or if you're going to be at the Libertarian Party of New York State Convention, September 17th or 18th, let me know. Let's say hello. Stop by my table. And as always, friends, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.